There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Friday Five, my weekly roundup from the world of well-being and more. And wow, what a great week it's been for female empowerment as we marked International Women's Day all around the world. And many thanks indeed for all your kind comments over on our social media channels. I have been busy sharing pictures of inspiring women that I've come across, especially on my travels here in Kenya, all adopting the hashtag break the bias stance of arms folded into an X position, signifying an end to to gender discrimination and equal opportunities for all. Well, that's the dream. Anyway, do check these out and share your own photos on social media. Just tag me at Me on Instagram if you fancy, and I will happily reshare with our wellbeing community. And thanks also for all of those sharing photos of their brand new copy of the Lizelle Wellbeing magazine, which has just gone live. Yes. Well, as I'm currently here in Kenya, I have yet to see an actual printed copy of the magazine. I've been looking at it online and my digital, but it's not quite the same, is it somehow? But I have really loved seeing all your photos of wherever your mag has landed and is now being enjoyed. So do keep them coming. And I'm also delighted to say on the subject of the magazine that we have just introduced a new pay-as-you-go subscription to the magazine. So for those who would like to have single issues sent to them. You can now do this. Just go to lizardwellbeing.com and you can now arrange to buy single copies of each lovely edition without having to take out a full year's subscription. And I hope that this helps in some small way with the rising and ever-increasing pressures on our family budgets. Now, as I've mentioned before on my podcast, I am currently working out here in a remote region of rural Kenya, which means that I am not so plugged in to the daily news broadcasts. But of course, I am aware of the increased levels of stress, social anxiety and tensions currently surrounding all of us. So I was especially pleased to connect this week with Sarah Ann Macklin. She is the fab female founder of the Be Well Collective, and that's an organization set up to help ease some of the pressures felt by so many of us, especially 
those engaging with social media and the additional anxieties that these can impose on us. Well, Sarah Ann started her first career as a young model in her teens, a career choice filled with pitfalls, anxiety and self-doubt when it comes to personal self-esteem. It's just notorious for it. Well, she since went on to train in nutrition, becoming a well-qualified nutritionist, now practicing in Harley Street, so that she could discover helpful ways to ease some of her own physical and mental health issues and then go on to help others. And that's particularly important because she found these so prevalent in the high fashion world. She is absolutely full of good ideas when it comes to living well and feeling better than ever. Her mission, she says, is to take prevention seriously with a focus on prevention and not cure. She says mental health problems are the largest burden of disease in the UK and she and her team are fighting to change this. She says we engage in conversations, reducing mortality, the stigma and the shame surrounding mental health. Sarah-Ann herself has been described in the media as the Jamie Oliver of nutrition. And she joins me here now to discuss not only some of these pressures, but also to give some highly relevant and sage advice on how best to both protect our mental health and physical well-being, not only for ourselves, but perhaps also for those youngsters in our families too. So Sarah-Ann, a very, very warm welcome to my Friday Five podcast. It's great to chat to you. I know you're in Battersea. I'm currently in Kenya. I would normally be in southwest London. So let's hope the connectivity lasts over the airwaves. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Really delighted to be a guest. No, I'm I'm so interested to hear your journey and to hear about everything that you're doing, particularly for young people, well, people of any age, actually, but people with poor mental health. So before we get into all that, can we just chat a little bit about your background and how did you become to be so passionate about nutrition, particularly in terms of mental health? Yes, absolutely. So my background um, started as a fashion model when I was very young at 15. Um, I was scouted at a pop concert and was signed to Select Model Agency in London. And my journey really started there. I lived in New York from 19 years of age. Um, I lived in Paris and Milan and it was a really exciting, I guess, journey and one that always sounds quite glamorous. But the reality of all of these things is it's never as glamorous as it looks. And I lived in New York, which was an amazing experience. But it was during this point in my career that I think I really started to feel the immense pressures of the industry. And just to give people a little bit of background about the fashion side, the, the glamorous side that you see isn't always the one that's portrayed. And you are every day, I guess, facing rejection, your self-worth is heavily based on what you look like. And so with that becomes immense pressure around eating, around food, um, resilience against your mental health on a day-to-day basis. But you're never, ever taught um, how to look after yourself, the importance of nutrition, and also, you know, tools and strategies to help you with with this rejection day to day and the social comparison that you come up against. And it was from this journey that I experienced one day, I just thought there must be something here that can help optimize people's mental health and also their physical state. Because what I've definitely learned from my own journey and obviously studying nutrition is that the more you deprive yourself of nutrients, not only 
does that reflect on how you feel, but it also reflects physically on how you look. So it's a double-edged sword, really. So it was at that point I left New York and actually embarked on a Bachelor of Science in human nutrition and became a registered nutritionist. And the more I understood about eating well and looking well, the more I realized there was a huge connection towards your mental health and your mood and your emotional well-being. And it was from there, really, that my journey started um, with nutrition and then onwards to, to mental health. That's really interesting to to talk to somebody who's been sort of right at the sharp end of it. And it's it's extraordinary, isn't it, that we have all these young girls particularly. I know there'll be lots listening and also mothers listening and grandmothers and friends who are probably keenly aware of this, even if you're not working as a model. Mm. I mean, we're all models these days, aren't we, on social media because we all represent yeah. ourselves. Most young people are on Instagram or some form of social media and it's very lookist and it's, as you say, very judgmental. And it can be very easy, can't it, to have a distorted relationship with food and what we're eating? Absolutely. I mean, when I was kind of in the peak, when I was about 18, I mean, I, I'm still modeling to this day, but it's a very different industry to what it was because back then it was very segregated, you know. Instagram wasn't around when I when I first started modeling so that social comparison really was towards magazines or advertising campaigns or TV but now every single day all of us um, experience this social comparison we open up our phones you know wherever we are we are constantly bombarded with the ideal body or go to this diet or you know some kind of fad and I think that's actually what I was living 18 years ago but now it's everyone's affected by it so there's even more need for you know the conversations to start around this and I think that when I started the Be Well I thought it was very much focused with just models or people in the creative industries but now all of our work I really think is recognized to all young adults because every single person now faces that social comparison that body judgment that perfectionism I say that in, in quote commas because there is no there is no perfectionism in body size or how we eat or how we look but back then it was very much focused I think on my industry but now I think everybody feels this this judgment and social comparison you're you're so right and of course it's not just the young I know you know older members of my family and friends you know I'm in my 50s so different sort of age mm. bracket but have been very much affected by lowered mental health, particularly in these last couple of years, and just mm. under so much sort of environmental and social stress and anxiety. And it can become very easy, can't it, to disconnect from food. And, and then it becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, because the, the fewer nutrients we consume, the worse our brain health can be. And therefore, we feel even less likely to eat well and look after ourselves and it can be quite quick can't it that spiral downwards and, and quite hard then to recognize it and pull ourselves out of it yeah absolutely I mean you just mentioned something there really interesting and it is a double-edged sword it's you know the more low that we feel um and the more depressed like states that we can have the harder it is to to want to get up every day and create a routine and a structure around one for food but to your day-to-day well-being and then if you're looking at the other side if you are worried about how you're looking or performing and you're wanting to cut out large food groups or reduce I would say calories in your diet again that 
inverted commas because it's a word I hate, then that affects your your mental health. And so it's really important to, you know, realize that this is one pillar of, of many, such as sleep and exercise and and nutrition. That all of these things are so important to your day-to-day well-being. And it's really important that we we talk about it and focus on it more. So as a nutritionist, what sort of foods do you advocate for better mental health? Do you have some absolute pillars that, you know, we must sort of live and breathe by? And, you know, it'd be interesting to get to get your take on food in general and then maybe talk about supplements and, you know, other strategies that can help. Yeah, definitely. Um, So for me, I would say overarching is to have a good overall balanced diet. And I know that sounds very boring and probably not like the magic answer that everyone wanted. (laughs) But sadly, that is that is kind of the the mainstream of information that I always try to advocate um, is that we have an overall good balanced diet. Because if you think about, I try to put it as an analogy, if you think about our bodies as a car and you are putting the wrong petrol into the car, it's going to slowly start to break down. And our bodies need an array and a diversity of different vitamins, different minerals, different nutrients to keep it going on a day-to-day basis. And if we start stripping them out or start reducing them and becoming scared of of certain food groups if we don't have an intolerance or an allergy then we actually do start messing around with the synergy within our bodies you know we have so many mechanisms that go on within our bodies and they all need different nutrients to help one another they all work as cofactors within our body and that's really essential so having a good balanced diet you know Many of us have probably heard, especially your followers who are, you know, very into their health and well-being, eating, you know, colours of the rainbow. You know, diversity of foods is really important. We know diversity is important for our gut health. Um, 90% of our serotonin, which is our feel-good, happy hormone, is one we hear about a lot. Most of that, 90% of that is made within our gut. So looking after our gut microbiome, looking at our fibre intake, trying to reach that 30 grams a day. So currently in the UK, we're only we're only averaging around 18 grams a day, which is very low. So trying to eat 30 grams a day of fibre, trying to get a diverse range of plant-based foods because fibre is predominantly in plant-based foods. So that's one way of helping encouraging that. Um, looking at your fish intake. So I know there's a lot of controversy around fish at the moment because of sustainability, but trying to eat more sustainable sources of fish like trout, that are oily fish. So rich in omega-3s, really important. Our brain is made of 60% fat. 25% of that is these longer chain omega-3s known as DHA and EPA. And these come in these oily fish forms. So anything like herring, mackerel, sardines, kippers, trout, salmon, anchovies these have got these longer chain omega-3s and they are fundamental to how we feel and our brain health and trying to get one portion of oily fish in a week and that's actually a public health recommendation guideline is really important Um, and if you're not having that that's where supplementation can, can play um, a form in there as well. Definitely. I mean, h- how do you feel that I know that you'll be talking to a lot of younger people, particularly, I know, you know, you work a lot, as you say, within the creative industries. 
and mm. a lot of younger people, models and creatives and, and, you know, all of that. And I have a lot of young creatives in my team as well. <laughs> How does that play out in, in some, of, some of the food messaging that's around at the moment? Because there seems to be this real push towards more plant-based, vegan eating, excluding major food groups. You know, mm. what's your view on that? Because, you know, I, I have strong views on it, but I'd be interested to hear it from your perspective as somebody working with mental health and also nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the rise towards having a more diverse plant-based diet is really important, but I wouldn't say we should be exclusively plant-based. Now, there is definitely an area and there, and I'm and I'm not I don't want to banish anyone who is optimizing and and living a plant-based life right now because you can live a healthy lifestyle on a vegan diet, but you have to be very aware of the main food groups that you might be missing out in. So these come in forms of omega-3s. So you will not be getting your longer chain omega-3s. And the the, the poor messaging here is there's lots of vegan and plant-based products that say high in omega-3. And these are like your chia seeds and your walnuts. But these are actually the shorter chain omega-3s, which is not the longer chains that contribute towards our brain functioning. And over evolution, we've actually lost that enzyme to help bring down it to help bring down that shorter chain omega-3 into the longer chain omega-3. So we have to be including it within our diet. That's why they're called essential fatty acids. So this is where supplementation comes in. Again, B vitamins, you won't be gaining your B12, which is essential for our nervous system in a vegan diet. So supplementation there needs to play a key role. So if you are aware and you're working with a nutritionist on a plant-based diet, then you can be living a healthy diet. But essentially, Actually, you should be trying to optimize all the food groups to, to, to have a healthy diet. That's that's my view. And also, I think it's interesting, isn't it, for those who are totally plant based, you know, looking at nutrition, it's also interesting looking at some of the supplements. So, for example, you can have an omega-3 supplement that says it's omega-3, um, mm. but if it's, say, flaxseed-based, again, that's not converting into this essential DHA for the brain, so it needs to be algae-based. So it's these yes. sort of nuances of information that are so, so important because if you just suddenly cut it out, I and mean, it's a bit like B12, isn't it? B12 deficiency can actually yeah. take several yeah. years to become apparent. So you might start off on a vegan diet and think, oh, this is fine. I feel completely well. And then after two or three years, think, oh gosh, you know, I've got no energy and I feel absolutely dreadful, but it can't be my diet because I've been eating this way for several years. But actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but it can take many years to show up as a deficiency of B12. Absolutely. It really, really can do. And and the scary thing is the longer that that deficiency actually goes on, the kind of the end of that spectrum is it can actually mimic signs of dementia. You can get very forgetful. And a lot of people end up going to the doctor and saying, you know, I'm really experiencing poor memory and there's worries of of dementia there. And actually it's because they've had B deficiency for so long and your B vitamins, your B12 very specifically works with something called the myelin sheath, which wraps around the vagus nerve. And that helps all the neurosynapses go up and down. Now, if you're not having that B12, which is one of those cofactors, your myelin sheath starts to degrade away slowly. And that actually reduces the efficiency of these neurosynapses. And so that's where the problem comes in. Now, the, the really sad thing about this is that once that starts degrading away, you can't actually, like the liver say, you can't actually say, well, it's fine. Do you know what? We'll put you back on B12 and it will all start working efficiently again. 
you, it can only stop to as far as it's gone. And then when you start on B12 again, it's, it doesn't actually start regenerating. So those memory signs that you have is, is how it will stay. And so that's why it's really important to be aware that when you are cutting out major food groups, to be aware of deficiencies that might be occurring. Yes. God, that's absolutely terrifying. I hadn't realised that. I thought you could actually put it right. So that's that's really quite a, a, a sobering thought. And, I, and I've talked mm. to other plant-based eaters in, in the past who you know, haven't been aware of the importance of other nutrients like iodine, for example, and yes. so many in the UK are generally iodine deficient. And mm. things like choline, you know, which is yeah. in eggs and um, vitamin D, obviously, we know about, which is so prevalent in, in animal foods and, you know, dairy produce, for example. So, you know, mm. it's really, really important, isn't it? If you're going to go down this route or you've got a youngster perhaps in the family eating Definitely. this way, that you get yourself properly, properly educated and don't rely on, on necessarily, you know, food labels or companies who are, are selling you supplements because they might not necessarily be the ones that are actually going to help you. No, exactly. And and the, the worrying thing about supplements is they do definitely play a role when you cannot gain these nutrients from your diet, whether it's for an intolerance, whether it's for an ethical reason, you're on a specific way of eating. But many studies around supplementation, you know, there is a there is an unknown there because all different supplements are 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 different. And so one study which shows supplementation might work that's specific to that one supplement and so we do have to be very aware that buying any supplement still might not have the same effect you it might not be as a bioavailable to your body as it is to somebody else's especially if you have gut issues um, that will play a role in it as well so there is a, a wider picture here to, to look at and it's very important one of the things that really annoys me actually and kind of gets me out on my soapbox is the increasing supermarket aisles full of processed foods declaring themselves to be gluten-free and lactose-free and this whole sort of free from food agenda. And from my point of view, I would rather say, well, why are you suddenly intolerant to this? I mean, clearly, if you have a, a proper allergy, full-blown allergy, you know, celiac or whatever, then, you know, absolutely. But for, for these grumbling intolerance that seem to grow on us, surely the message should be, well, let's fix our gut so that we can tolerate gluten and we can tolerate lactose because that's you know the way we're supposed to be. And rather than just say, well, I'm going to consign myself to a life of having to buy expensive free from foods and miss out on so many things, you know, surely the answer is to actually address gut health and, and say, well, how can I fix this? I mean, do you do you agree with that? That actually that there is a way of of mending our gut so that we can can become able to re-tolerate gluten and lactose and other things that we perhaps become sensitive to over time. Absolutely. I mean, the sad fact is two-thirds of our shopping baskets in the UK are full of processed foods. So that leaves one-third only having whole foods. And that's a really worrying statistic is that predominantly we are living on fake food. And when we're looking at these products, the free from aisles, there is a place for them for people that do have celiac disease, yet 1% of the population is a celiac. So 99% of the population are not celiac. And now there are people that do have gluten intolerances and that is becoming more aware but again that is a very 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 small percentage and this is what is important is that you know predominantly mostly of us are now veering towards these foods because they're marketed in a healthier way however the reality is 
is that they're not. And eating whole foods in the whole form is the way that we should be trying to to, to lead. But because of the convenience around these these processed foods that are marketed in a healthy way, we actually believe that these are the healthier option. And many of it, much of this conversation come down to choice. Do we have the choice to, to make these these healthier options within our diet? But when they are bombarded day in, day out of gluten is bad for you. Well, gluten is only a protein, so it's only bad for you if, if you do have celiac disease. Actually, in other forms, it's not harmful to you at all. And it's the messaging that we seem to be conveying in our society and the new fads that keep coming in that are veering people towards these products. And the food manufacturers and the marketing side is going, great, we can actually increase the price of our foods and sell them for double the amount and fill them full of potato starch, which is, you know, not healthy for us at all. And so again, it's a key messaging that comes around to kind of bringing it back to the basics, bringing it back to the basics of nutrition, like what makes up fundamentally a healthy diet. And I'd say to everyone, you know, try this week when you're looking in a chocolate basket, how many foods in there are whole form foods or how many are processed foods? And if you can try and make one step this week to putting a new vegetable that you've never tried in before or challenging yourself to a new dish this week that's one step towards kind of optimizing your health and trying something new and increasing the diversity within the foods um, as opposed to buying into this kind of more fatty culture of free from foods really if you don't have an allergy or, or an intolerance hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
I think that's that's a very sensible piece of advice. And you know, one of the things that I've been trying to do while I've been away here working in a different country and being exposed to different types of foods is to start adding in a few more beans and legumes and lentils and things that, you know, aren't generally part of my diet back in the UK, to be honest. And I was put off them for a while because if I had a, a huge great plate of beans, you know, I would bloat and my and my stomach I would feel really uncomfortable, maybe only for a few hours, but it would be enough to make me think oh gosh, I'm not going to eat those again. But actually, the more I understand about it and the way our gut microbes work is that if you just in- introduce a little bit, you know, maybe two or three beans or, you know, a spoonful of lentils mixed in with your, you know, spag bowl or whatever it is, your gut microbes actually get used to that and your gut adjusts. So rather than kind of going hell for leather and having an enormous bowl of dal and then feeling not so great after it, uh, which has been my experience, actually having little little and often does seem to retrain the gut so that we can become better able to tolerate these foods, which of course is increasing diversity, which is proliferating our gut bugs and helping them to be well so they can help us be well. Yeah. And it's a really important point there, actually, that you mentioned about the bloating because fibre is so important and we definitely don't talk about it enough in our country. We need to make it more sexy and make make us want to talk about it more, basically. But fibre is um, fantastic for our gut health. And that's the legumes that you've just mentioned, you know, legumes, beans, all of these are really high fibrous foods. And again, it all comes back to balance, doesn't it? If we're introducing fibre too quickly what happens is, is that it does cause a lot of bulk to the stool. So we need to be also increasing our water so we don't become concentrated and have too much GI distress. So anyone who's listening to this thinking, okay, I'm going to go out and have my 30 grams of fiber, but are only at the moment consuming, let's say 12 to 13 grams of fiber, they do that automatically. They're going to have a lot of problems around bloating and GI distress. So what we want to be doing is increasing it slowly and increasing it with a lot of water to try and reduce that GI distress. And the slower, slowly that you do it and the kind of the slower buildup that you do it, the better it will be absorbed, the less GI distress you will gain. And as you said, now you can actually have it comfortably without having all of this bloating and distension of, of the intestine. Yeah, absolutely. I think a key area of focus on your website, which is brilliant, by the way, I mean, I would definitely direct everybody to this um, at the end of this conversation, is prevention, which is one of the things I think is so often missed in the conversation around mental health. You know, we we are very aware of people, particularly with people with high profile who are on social media, talking about extreme anxiety and depression and, you know, considering end of life thoughts and you know, all of that. And yet this one area of prevention, you know, we talk about disease prevention, but we don't really talk very much, do we, about prevention for poor mental health. Do you think that's also an important area to look at? Hugely. Um, it's it's the biggest. And, and within our healthcare system, I think it's the one thing that we haven't got right. We seem to always be finding a solution when somebody's ill or when they are struggling or when a disease becomes prevalent. However, we're less worried about actually, well, what's the state before that person gets ill? Or how can we prevent a disease? Or how can we prevent poor mental health? These conversations around prevention within our healthcare system and within many organizations that work with mental health, we don't seem to be trying to 
educate before it happens. And actually, if we try to put more resources into this section, then we would have less of a problem of the disease or the mental health states occurring because people are being more educated. And it still does confuse me to this day why we aren't implementing nutritional education, mental health training in our school systems, because starting at a young age is so important to help prevent mental health conditions, obesity, eating disorders, all of these array of issues that we're facing, which are prevalent in the UK today and worldwide, we seem to only be wanting to talk about them or solve them when they're apparent, as opposed to kind of putting in strategies to stop them happening. And for us and and for myself specifically, it's a huge thing that we're really trying to work on optimizing the prevention beforehand. Interesting. Yeah, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your campaigning work because <laughs> I've had the award-winning consultant cardiologist, uh, Dr. Asim Holtra, on the show here a number of times. Mm-hmm. And I know that in 2018, you collaborated with him and other medics to present a campaign about dietary guidelines and their link with diseases like the current type 2 diabetes epidemic, which you presented mm-hmm. then to the European Parliament. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was um, that was when the pre-COVID, when we were traveling, we went to Brussels, as you mentioned, to the European Parliament. And um, for me, that was the lead role as the nutritionist to prevent to present the findings around our food system and culture currently and what we are advising. And that was specifically targeted, as you mentioned, around type 2 diabetes, which is a metabolic health condition. And it's on the rise. And the reason that it's called type 2 diabetes is it was originally called adult onset diabetes. And the reason why is because we would really only see it in adults many years ago. However, today, children as young as five are being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Yep. And this is because it is specifically linked to really poor, high carbohydrate diets. And because of that, we've had to rename it type 2 diabetes. I did not know that adult onset diabetes is the very same thing as type 2 diabetes. And the name was changed because now so many kids are getting it. That's shocking. It's really, really shocking. And so because of that, we actually... You know, there's so much within our healthcare system, as I said before, you know, we don't work on prevention. So what's happening is my dad was is a type two diabetic. I say actually is, he was, because then I stepped in as his daughter as a nutritionist and swiped his diet. I really sort him out. It it was (laughs) very hard. He's very black and white, but I had to really sit down with him. I have interesting conversations (laughs) with my parents too. (laughs) You know, he was brought up on a a very old school way of of diet. He was a he was a bricklayer. It was all about eating when you can, going to get a sausage roll from the from the bakers. And yeah, that's how he was brought up. And he did develop type 2 diabetes. And he did actually go to the NHS and he saw a dietitian and they still were advising him on a very high carbohydrate diet. And I looked at, it's really prevalent. And I looked at what they gave him and I said, Dad, if you carry on this route, you will be put on metformin. Um, and he said, well, this is what I've been advised. And so he did carry on that diet and he did get worse. And then I actually got very concerned. And after a lot of negotiation with him and kind of moving back home for a while, 
we did actually completely change his diet. He did come off all of his medication and now he is not a diabetic at all. That's and amazing. So, I mean, a lot of people listening to this will be thinking, okay, great. You know, I wish I had a daughter like you who could move in. <laughs> what changes did you make to his diet and how receptive was he to it? It did take a while. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but now he's very receptive. It is it is good to be honest. Um he did take a while. He wasn't sure on the food in the beginning. And it's that change of mindset, isn't it? You know, it's the change of somebody saying, Well, all of a sudden I'm gonna completely uproot your diet and everything you're doing is wrong. And it wasn't that he was doing everything wrong, it was the food that wasn't offered to him was the wrong choices. And it was more around the education of, okay, well, if you eat these simple white carbohydrates all the time, they're going to shoot up your blood glucose. And right now, your insulin receptors, which work with your blood glucose, aren't working correctly. And they're becoming over-consumed with too much glucose. And this is what you're consuming in these white carbohydrates. So what we need to do is make some simple swaps here to help level out your blood glucose and not put too much pressure on these insulin receptors. And so we started looking at his plates. And so instead of having white bagels for lunch and a huge plate of pasta in the evening, we would swap in and have more whole grain sources. I would say, look, where's your protein? We need to have more protein on your plate. We need to increase more vegetables. We can also have some really good fats from olive oil and cheese and things that you love, but we need to start reducing these kind of white carbohydrates, the high levels of alcohol. You know, my dad loved beer, not the best when you're a type 2 diabetic. Um, and swapping out these things for water, sparkling water, putting in lots of cucumber and limes to make it a bit more enticing and really trying to map out a more steady blood glucose release in his diet with complex carbohydrates and good proteins and swapping out all the simple carbohydrates. And this really helped him to reverse his type 2 diabetes. And sadly, you know, when we're looking at many of our ways of eating within the UK, they are full of these processed, quick-releasing carbohydrates, which for many of us who aren't endurance athletes, who aren't working out to a high-end degree of needing to get these quick quick influx of glucose to get us off the start line to, to, to win the race, they're actually just sitting within our bodies and we're not burning them off. So we need to be looking at our diet a bit differently because we're much more sedentary than we have been ever before. And so this is where the, the education around, you know, what we are eating and how it's affecting our health is really important. Mm. Um, before we go, I know that you're a keen chef and I'd just mm -hmm. kind of like to return to the topic here of, of you know, something that I think we, we, we both are big fans of and that's oily fish. I think yes. a lot of people I talk to, they actually struggle to get oily fish into their diets, you know, you know whether it's because they're being a, a bit more veggie or just because they're more comfortable preparing meat, frankly, you know, it's easier mm. to, you know, grill a lamb chop maybe. You know, what would you recommend in these cases? What are your kind of easy, quick fixes for, getting a bit more oily fish into a normal everyday diet that's simple and inexpensive? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good question. And um, there's many ways. So I would say many people turn their nose up at tin fish, but actually it's cheap and it's 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 not bad for you. So looking at the mackerels, they have like peppered mackerels. That's really delicious. You can put that on some whole grain toast. Um, also great just to stock up your cupboard. So if you're in a rush and you can just grab a tin of mackerel out of the cupboard, fantastic. You can put that on toast in the morning, kip us on toast, my dad's favourite. Um, fantastic. I, I had tin sardines for lunch, you'll be pleased to hear. Oh, 
I'm really <laughs> so easy. Here. Massive I had... tip. No, no time to cook anything. So it was just, you know, a, a bit of greens and and some tin sardines and absolutely delicious. Yeah. And that's the thing. We want quick, convenience food. You know, we don't always have time to take half an hour to cook our lunch. And especially many people don't. So tin fish is a fantastic one, especially like you tin sardines with lots of greens. Um, even putting it on the side of some eggs is always a good one. Um, buying a uh, a trout, a fillet trout that's more sustainable than salmon. Um, popping that in some baker foil just with loads of herbs and smoked paprika, some salt, some lemon, and just popping that in a tin foil in the oven for 12 minutes. You don't need to do nice. anything else to it. Or scrambling your eggs. <laughs> scrambling your eggs with, you know, some um, smoked salmon on top. You know, all of these things are, are really quick and easy ways to inject it into your diet, even into a frittata. Right at the end, you know, you can put some some fish into a frittata, flake it on the top. Um, a really great way of, of getting that into your diet. Mm. I just want to ask you while I've got you here, just a question about tuna. We haven't talked about tin tuna. What's your mm. view on that? I mean, do you think it's, you know, the, the not the sustainable option? It might be too high in heavy metals like mercury. Um, and if you do buy it, would you buy uh, buy it in brine or in oil? I mean, what's what, what's your view generally on, on tin tuna? So tin tuna, so since I want to say two years ago now, but it might not be as long as that, it's not recognized anymore as an oily fish. Is it so, not? No. So it doesn't get these essential EPAs and DHAs, which is really important, which we've been talking about. So for that reason, it's it's not it's not considered to be one portion of your oily fish a week. Secondly, it does have high metals and it does have high levels of mercury, as, as you just mentioned. So Try not to have more than one portion of fish a week is recommended in tin tuna. Um, I'd also opt for a tuna steak um, that has lower levels than the tin tuna. Um, lower levels of what? Mercury. Really? Yes. And it's so that's obviously a better way to go. Um, but apart from that, I mean, I wouldn't want to demonize it at all. It's still a whole food, it's still a fish. Um, and it can be recognize it's just your one portion of fish just not one portion of your oily fish a week but if you are pregnant do um do you try to just to not consume very much tin tuna because again that's recommended to keep clear of it when you're pregnant Sarah Ann, it's an absolute delight to have you join me here. Uh, I know that we could continue this conversation on and on, and perhaps we can do another time. I will definitely be sending everybody to your website. Do you want to just give us the website address uh, yourself, just to make sure that I've got it absolutely correct for people who want to go and look you up? Yes, absolutely. That's really kind of you. So there's there's two up there's two websites. Sorry, there is my personal one, which is heavily focused on nutrition, which is www.sarahmacklin.com, and then for any mental health support for anyone, um, please head to www.bewellcollective.co.uk. Be well collective, and that's certainly a resource that I'm putting my youngsters in front of particularly. And you've got some fascinating podcasts, by the way. I, I, I was nearly late for this recording because I started to have a look around and I saw there was one that you've done about teeth and aging. Are your teeth aging you? And I thought, oh my goodness, that's something I need to listen to. So, so well done with all your, your well-being work and um, long may it continue. And thank you for your time here today. Thanks, Liz. Also interesting and relevant, don't you think? And if you'd like to see more of Sarah and the work of her and her team at the Be Well Collective, you can find them online at bewellcollective.co.uk. 
And that's just about it for this week. Many thanks indeed for tuning in and joining us not only here on the pod, but also across all our various Lizard Wellbeing social media channels. And as you may well have seen already, it's been a busy week for me and for the team, not only on Instagram, but also across Facebook and YouTube, even TikTok, with various lives and recordings that have gone live this week. And I have especially enjoyed such varied discussions, frankly, from revamping my spring time makeup look with Rupert Kingston, the makeup supremo and co-founder of the great British beauty brand Delilah Cosmetics, to discussing macular degeneration, eye health, cataracts and general eye ageing with the brilliant professor of ophthalmology, Professor Dawn Sim from UCL and Moorfields Eye Hospital. Do check these out if you have yet to take a look. Uh, No pun intended. Seriously, she is great. Go and take a look at all that she has to say. And until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.